Father, we thank you that you are at work. And Father, when just a few of us can gather in a room like this together, there is something about that. There's something that delights you. There's something that uh, it kind of impacts us as individuals. We get to gather with other members of your body, Jesus, and we get to lift up praise and song and prayer and confession and declaration. And so we're thankful for this time that we can gather. We also think of all those that are in their family rooms, living rooms, TV rooms, whatever, perhaps watching with us right now. And God, would you knit us all together by the power of your spirit and the effectiveness of looking at your word together. Would you speak to us and change us? All of this we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Question for you. If somebody were to ask you, what's your favorite command in the Bible? Would you have an answer? What would you say? A lot of times we think of uh, the Bible's commands as obligations almost burdens, you know, or things that we just have to do. But of course, if you think about this from God's perspective, God's commands really are about living an abundant life, a life flourishing, um, living a life of purpose, living a life of meaning, living a life of joy. God's commands are, in that sense, an invitation to experience that kind of life. So let me give you one of my favorite commands in the Bible, and it comes from the psalm we've already read together, and that's Psalm 100. Uh, as Aaron used it, it's, a, it's actually a call to worship, this short little psalm, and it begins with this command. We read it, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I love that command. I especially love the phrase joyful noise. Daniel was making a joyful noise. I was standing next to Jan- Daniel. Uh, I make a lot of noises too, unfortunately. Um, many of them are not joyful. Um, I make whiny noises and angry noises and selfish noises and sometimes complaining kinds of noises, anxious noises, frustrated noises. But God loves joyful noises. The psalmist says the whole earth should make joyful noises to the Lord. How hard is it to make a joyful noise? Well, It's not really that difficult. Uh, I make a joyful noise whenever a sports team that I like to follow, the Broncos, assuming they get to play, when they score, I make a joyful noise. Uh, I make a joyful noise when I see a good friend that I haven't seen for a while. It's just, you know, it's fun. It's, It's exuberant. It's exciting to see that person. I make a joyful noise. I make a joyful noise also when I come to worship because I'm called into the presence of God. And friends, amazingly, Our Heavenly Father says to us through this psalm that calls us to worship, make a joyful noise. So here's the question. How are you doing at making a joyful noise to the Lord lately? How are you doing? A lot of obstacles these days to making a joyful noise. How's that going for you? I wonder if followers of Jesus got nothing else right except that we were known everywhere for making a joyful noise to the Lord. I wonder if that would make more people curious, uh, humanly speaking, you know, more people would want to know more about Jesus, this one that these people with all the joy follow. Now, the reason I say that is I've been observing lately, probably just like you have, that in this sorry, sad, fallen, dark world in which we live, people are starving to death for a joyful noise. I mean, there's lots of angry noises and there are lots of hateful noises. 
There are lots of sad noises and what I would call fearful noises, but very few joyful noises. And this morning, I want to make a case for joyful noises. I want to talk about why it's a good thing to be joyful noise makers like that little child in the video, right? In fact, I think that's part of what we are up to when we gather like this to worship God. When you think about Jesus and what he's done for us, you have to celebrate. You have to celebrate Jesus. You have to celebrate his life his death, the fact that he didn't stay dead. You have to celebrate. One of the ways that we do this is by making a joyful noise to the Lord. And so we gather and we declare praises to him. We sing praises to him. We shout praises to him. That's one of the many good things that happens when we worship. We get reoriented around what we should be thinking and how we should be viewing life. It's important, this thing we call worship. Let me mention another, uh, you know, when we worship something else that happens to us is we get our attention, so to speak, off of ourselves. Uh, that, this is exactly what Psalm 100 encourages us to do. It says, make a joyful no noise, not just in general, but to the Lord. You get your focus on the Lord. And it's not just for Israel or just for the church. It's actually all the earth, you know, shout to the Lord, make a joyful noise goes on to say, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It says singing is, of course, thoughtful praise. Singing is rehearsing and teaching truth while celebrating it. Singing is joyful noise kind of at its best. Uh, but look at what the psalmist says next. He says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his and are his people and the sheep of his Pasture, And so what's so striking to me in these words is that in worship, what I do is I begin uh, with this. I, I start to think about a good deal about who God is. I think a good deal about the fact that, that God is God, that God made me, that I am his, that he cares about me and not just me, my family, my friends, my church, the people with whom I do business. And like a shepherd, he cares for me in the midst of all of these things and all of these relationships. In worship, I think about God first and foremost and not about me first and foremost. Me is defined in the context of he, in other words. And it turns out that thinking too much about me, uh, it, not in the context of he, is not a really good thing. Researchers have figured this out. I heard a psychologist recently talking on a network news broadcast about the prevalence of depression right now in our day. And he was comparing statistics of depression today with statistics right after World War II, when many people had experienced loss during that time. You'd think depression levels would be very high then. Uh, how much do you think it's gone up? 10%, 20%, 50%, what do you think? Take a guess. Don't say it out loud. Just whisper it to the person next to you. No, I'm kidding. Well, here's the deal. The best estimates are that since World War II, depression has gone up a thousand percent. It's 10 times more prevalent in our day than it was just one lifetime ago. 10 times more prevalent. And of course you want to ask why? I mean, you know, we have more money we have more leisure time. We have more television channels. 
We have more screens to watch. So why? Why has depression become so much more widely diagnosed, so much more prominent in our day? And there are lots of thoughts about this. One psychologist, Martin Seligman, he's not a a follower of Jesus, but he says this. He says that as a society, we have lost a sense of connection to something that is greater than ourselves, to something that is transcendent, something that we are confident is good, to something that can command our devotion and our allegiance. And of course, our word for this would be we've lost really something or someone to worship. Seligman says, and I quote, we have managed to reduce all of life into the single smallest common denominator, and that is self. That is me. And the self is just too small a package to carry the weight of human hunger for meaning and for glory and for purpose and for transcendence. When I worship, my mind is on something besides me. That's a good thing because my mind was not made to dwell primarily on me, on myself. And that's why boredom has become so pervasive in our day because essentially you are very boring. And so am I. We're terribly bored. All we think about, all we're obsessed with is me, 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 you see. When I'm thinking mostly about me, my own little life, my own little agenda, my own little problems, my problems seem very large, very overwhelming. Thinking only about me can be crushing. I'd say that we were made to think about something better than us, something bigger, something richer, something more meaningful, something with more power. Dallas Willard, an author that I've really appreciated over the years, he's deceased now. He's a Christian author and teacher and philosopher. And he used to say, there is an alternative to thinking only about yourself. Uh, He said that we should have a mind enthralled. It's a great word, enthralled with God. That is thinking wonderful, hope-filled, lovely thoughts, about God. We need to be serious about this, about what we fill our minds with. Ask yourself the question, what do you mostly fill your minds with? One of the points of worship is coming together and kind of shifting gears and fill our mind with things we know are true, things that are taught in God's word. What are you filling your mind with? The apostle Paul, while challenging Jesus followers Uh, in Philippi, the city of Philippi, wrote these words. He said, finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Well, who or what is all of these things? Well, chiefly God. That's the subtext here. Nothing meets all of those criteria quite like God does. How do I set my mind on? How do I think about God? How do I do this? How do I get myself to love that which is lovely, most lovely, God himself? People will say, you've heard the saying, uh, you need to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. The idea is that a rose is a lovely thing, but to to enjoy it, I've got to focus on it. I've got to smell it, maybe touch it. Um, I've got to observe it. Uh, Recently, as I told you, we had this couple here. 
that we're going to be bringing out to plant a church, uh, Matt and Tiffany Cohen, and they're living in the South right now. They don't particularly have Southern accents, but one of the things I, I kept hearing Tiffany say, uh, Matt's wife, uh, we'd ask her a question and she'd respond back by saying, well, if she didn't have an immediate answer, she'd say, well, I've got to ponder that. And I thought, well, that's a very Southern word right there, but it's a good word. I've got to ponder that. When's the last time you heard somebody say, I've got to ponder something? And she was, I've got to ponder that. And when I do that, what you're really doing is you're mulling it over, kind of soaking in it or with it, right? And uh, if you do that with God or something noble or something good or something honorable, something lovely, something commendable, you, you come to be a better person because of the time that you're taking to smell the rose, This is just the way our minds work. When there is something lovely and I bring it before my mind and I linger there, it produces delight in me. And friends, this is what worship does or worship is supposed to do. It's possible to grow in gratitude and in love and in delight for our God. This is one of the reasons worship should be a regular part of our our rhythms. In fact, this is uh, supposed to happen, this thing of growing in our appreciation, in our gratitude, in our love for God, but it won't just happen automatically. Because there's something in us, a sinful bent, in fact, that wants to focus on me. My problems, my stuff, my wants, my desires, my agenda. My stuff first, God only second, third, fourth, fifth, or down the line. So we've got to be kind of systematic about this. It's, it's not burdensome any more than it's burdensome, though, to, to enjoy a rose, if you think about it. Uh, or a beautiful sunset, or, or to uh, really enjoy a great basketball game, something to cheer about, or a great football game, something to cheer about. You just ponder it, you think about it, you enter into it, and you come to appreciate it. I just bring my mind into the presence of the reality of God in all of his glory and all of his wonder and all of his goodness. I think about that. And God invites us to do this all the time, but specifically when we gather for worship. You know, I will do this privately a lot of times when I bike. I've shared this before. I pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I'm riding in the most beautiful country anywhere in our country. And it often just shouts the praises of God. I mean, look look at how magnificent that is. And the maker of it is even more magnificent. I I do this kind of thing when I hike with Holly. Sometimes we'll pray together and we'll start just giving him praise by observing the things that he's made all around us. But I also do this quite intentionally when I read or when I pray or when I journal or when I worship, especially when I worship. The scriptures speak a lot about how the uh, things like the out of doors, the creation exhibits the glory of God. It says, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's like if you look at creation, you're automatically driven to ask the question, who made this? How did this get here? Why am I here? Who am I? And, uh, you know, until you become scientifically astute, your simple answer would be, oh, God, God made this. Somebody really big, really powerful. Somebody magnificent, somebody who's a creative genius made this until we understand that nobody made it. It's, it's just happenstance and it's just the, you know, the result of materialistic processes and uh, it's evolution that made it. I'm just kidding. You observe and you connect the dots when you ponder is my point. You observe and connect the dots. 
Things like the sky, the clouds, the stars, the mountains, the trees in blossom and the fragrance of a rose, the laughter of a child. Who made that? An evolutionary process. You see, I need to stop and I need to ask, who made that? Who thought all of this up? Why is there such goodness and beauty in the world, even though there is also a great deal of ugliness? Who made the goodness? And the answer is, you know, it's not random. It's not a materialistic evolutionary process. It's God. It's somebody to worship because of God, who is beauty itself. There is beauty around us and among us. There's beauty for us to appreciate. God is the one who created it all. What a good God God must be. Thinking about these things, taking time to ponder, I find myself actually coming to love and to appreciate God more. Anybody else? Is Tim in here? I want to fill the room up with Pentecostals. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just Presbyterians will do. Um, I, uh, I, I open up the scriptures because I want to be intentional about this. And again, there has to be intentionality around it. You know, you have to have a plan and a purpose when you read the word of God. And uh, I changed my plan some years and uh, but I always have a daily reading plan. The, the, and and the, the plan is about getting to know God better. And in the process, I do get to know myself better. I even get to know you better. I get to know the human being, uh, this, this species in which we are a part, of which we are a part. I get to know all of these things better just by opening up the scriptures and reading them year after year after year, day after day after day. Um, intentionality. I read the stories of this God who made a covenant with his people, a God who provides for and cares for and redeems his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Wow, that's an incredible story. I open the Bible and I read and I study and I think about Jesus, how good Jesus is, how wise, how truthful, how kind, how long-suffering, how loving, how merciful. I read uh, about how he went to the cross out of his love for lost sinners, people that were not looking for him. He came looking for them. And that's always the dynamic. I read about how Jesus' body was broken for me and Jesus' blood was shed for me. And when I think these thoughts, God is present with me and God affects me and gratitude grows in me and my mind gets filled with thoughts that are noble and pure and true and admirable and hopeful and energizing and praiseworthy kinds of thoughts. It gets my mind off of me when I worship God. And that alone is a good reason to worship God, but it's not the best reason. Here's another dynamic at work in me. I hope in you when we worship. When I worship, it produces a spirit of gratitude in me. And boy, do I need that because I have a complainer in me too. Any of you have a complainer in you? Yeah, there's, there's this mixture in us, isn't it? Because of our brokenness and uh, our sin. But when I worship, something else happens to me. The psalmist puts it like this, enter his gates with thanksgiving. The gates there and the courts that are mentioned uh, in the next phrase, uh, this is calling people into formal worship, coming into the courts uh, of the temple, coming through the gates of the temple. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, the psalmist says. 
And I'll tell you how I do that. Here, here, here's uh, what can happen to me just uh, in, in kind of a default mode. I get up in the morning and if I'm not thinking properly, I can start my day as if I begin in neutral, right? And then if good things happen to me in that day, well, then I feel happy. But if bad things start to happen to me, I don't feel so happy. In fact, I feel grumpy. I feel unfortunate. I'm quite unhappy. But when I worship, whether privately or corporately, when I worship, I slow down and I remember all the ways that God is at work in my life, all the ways that God has blessed me and been good to me. And this is very important. Whenever you, uh, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, that you spend time reflecting on how God has been good to you. And hopefully in worship, we encourage you to do that. Once in a while, I'll actually take the time to start writing this stuff down, ways for which I am grateful to God. God has given me life. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make me or create me. There's no reason why I should exist. In particular, there's plenty of other people. But God made me exist. God has given me a body so I can enjoy eating. Amen. And so I can enjoy biking so that I can enjoy eating. That's how the cycle works. Or hiking or whatever, right? The beauty of the things he's made. God has given me a mind so I can think stuff, good stuff. He's given me a mind so I can read stuff and so I can learn stuff and so I can become more like Jesus, God has given me senses to see and touch and feel and taste and hear and smell. Spiritual dimension. God has given me a spiritual dimension. I'm not just a material being. I have a spiritual dimension so that I can know God and have a relationship with God. That's just a blessing. He didn't have to give us any of these things. These are all bonus blessings. God has given me wonderful relationships, a great partner in life. People who love me, children who are fun, grandkids who are fun sometimes. Uh, He didn't have to give me any of those things. They're just gifts. God has given me the forgiveness of my sins without which I perish. And how often do I take that for granted? God has given me eternal life, not just this life, not just a good life in this life, but eternal life, which makes this life have some meaning and significance. God has given me the gift of the Holy Spirit inside me. The Holy Spirit convicts me of the wrong things I want to do. The Holy Spirit guides me. The Holy Spirit is always with me so that I know, in fact, I'm never really alone. There's always somebody to talk to. God's given me this church to be a part of. He's given me spiritual gifts. I didn't ask for them. I certainly didn't deserve them. And yet using them, I get to do something with my life that matters. It's worthwhile. It's satisfying. And that's just a few of the things that God has given me. How about you? When you consider a list of of things for which you ought to be grateful How stupid is it to ever think that each day you're starting in neutral? You're never, ever starting in neutral. It's not starting uh, at the, the zero level. You have been given so much, you can't even name it all, even before you get out of bed. The Apostle Paul says this, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is if you can, at a time when it's appropriate, go make your own list. Use it, carry it with you. Uh, If it's 
possible for you to take a hike and pray over the list, just giving thanks. Rejoice always and give thanks so that when you worship, whether it's privately or corporately like this, you enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Now, gratitude happens when we worship. Gratitude is a really good reason to worship. It's not the best reason, but it's a good reason. Let me mention another reason, another benefit of worship. When I worship, my problems, my difficulties, my struggles lose their power to make me despair. They lose the power to suck life out of me. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. You can find him between Nahum and Zephaniah. And uh, things were very difficult in Habakkuk's day. The northern kingdom had already gone off into captivity. Uh, Habakkuk and Jeremiah and other prophets were prophesying that Judah itself was going to be going into captivity from the nation, the empire that was growing called Babylon, the Babylonians. Uh, it was a very difficult time. Uh, the, the king, uh, Josiah, who was a reforming king and, and who had uh, been a very godly man and had reformed the worship in Israel, uh, he had died and now his son, Jehoiakim, was the king and Jehoiakim wanted nothing really, nothing at all to do with Jehovah God. It was a difficult time in Israel and judgment was coming. And this is what he writes. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, though things be really bad, about as bad as they can get. These are all agricultural kinds of references here. And so things for an agricultural people You know, things like no crops, no fruit on the trees, no fruit on the vines, no sheep, no cattle. That's a big deal. But look at what he says. He says these fabulous words. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And this is Habakkuk saying this, even though he himself is confused about what's going on. He's very confused. God, why would you bring evil Babylon to punish your people who, yes, are being evil and wrong and sinful, but the Babylonians are even more sinful. So why, God, why? And he never really gets an answer to that. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You know, that's a life with vision right there. Habakkuk sees the presence and the reality of God and how that changes everything, even things that confuse him. He and Israel look back to God's judgment of Israel, the northern kingdom, and they look forward to God's coming judgment there on Judah. And frankly, things are going to get worse before they get any better. And Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You know, how, how many think the coronavirus is done? How many is just afraid to put your hand up about anything with the coronavirus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because no matter what you think, 50% of the population disagrees with you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's going to get worse before it gets any better. I read an epidemiologist here just recently that said it's going to get a lot worse in round two. I don't know. I hope not. I'm praying against it. We'll see if my prayers work. But um, 
Sometimes in life we face circumstances we do not like, we do not understand. They're confusing circumstances and we'd like them to go away. Circumstances we can't control, things like injustice, things like this coronavirus, things like racial upheaval and, and inequality and discrimination. And if all I face them with is uh, on my own, on me, me only, my wisdom, my strength, my ability, well, guess what? I will spend a huge chunk of my life in discouragement and frustration and defeat because I can't defeat that stuff. Neither can you. And if I'm being honest, I have to admit the division in our country, the racial unrest and the coronavirus, all this stuff, all of this is immensely discouraging to me. Uh, I've even given up watching the news every day. It's just too depressing. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, and, and one minute it's, a, it's an expert saying this, but then the other expert says something quite different. Who am I supposed to believe? I'm not sure. It's immensely discouraging. It puts me in a great funk, a giant funk. Uh, one minute I'm angry and next minute I'm confused and I'm frustrated and uh, quite literally, and I mean this. This would be a convenient illustration to plug into a sermon on worship, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm telling you how this happened for me. Quite literally, I had to worship to get this all straightened out in my heart and in my head. I had to stop and smell the rose. I had to remember that God made the earth and everything in it, everything, trees, grass, sky, sun, even viruses out there are the result of a fallen, broken world, right? But they're not out of God's control. And all these people with different opinions and skin colors and agendas, even different religions, right? God is bigger than all of that. All of my frustrations, all of my confusion, he is bigger than viruses and bureaucrats and politicians and policemen and pollsters and pillagers. And so I will praise you, God. You are a good God. You are way bigger than everything going on in my life. Amen. <laughs> we got one Pentecostal here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank God, God is God. Thank God we can praise him. And no kidding, when we do, when we praise him, when I do that physically and spiritually, I can feel the frustration and the anger leave my heart and my soul and my body. God has this, I don't. God is big, I am not. My problems are small compared to God. And that peace comes to me in times of private and corporate worship. Something happens to the way that I look at my life and my problems. So I would just challenge you, all of us, those here and those listening. I feel like Billy Graham a little bit. You know, those that are in the balcony, those that are at home, the millions of people. This week, we can all do this. Here's the challenge. When the fig tree doesn't bud... When the olive crop fails, when there's no sheep or cattle in the pen, when the protests erupt in violence, when opinions on every side are strong, when the store you wanted to enter requires a mask and you left yours at home, when the car doesn't start, when the checkbook doesn't balance, when your boss is unreasonable, when the phone call doesn't come, when you're frustrated or hurt or sad or lonely, when you're discouraged, just stop. 
and try some yet I will rejoice kind of worship. Remember who God is. Remember that he loves you. Remember that he is in control. Say with Habakkuk, yet I will rejoice. You see, worship can help us, can even give us that perspective on life. It can give us hope. It can give us energy. It can give us strength to keep going. These are good reasons to worship, but they're not the best reason. The best reason to worship has nothing to do with what worship will do for you or for me. It's what worship does for God, frankly. You know, I have a file uh, in my office at home. Uh, I'm not much of a saver. I tend to, you know, throw things away. Holly gets on my case about that. Uh, She wrote me a note one time. I threw it away. Um, I generally throw stuff away after I eat it, but occasionally I'll keep something. I'll keep a card, a note, a letter. I've got some from some of you. I've got uh, more of these really from people I'm, I'm, you know, family members and stuff like that. People I'm very closely connected to. And I don't look at that file very often, but I did this past week. I read a few notes and a few letters, several from Holly, several from my kids. And when I read these things, they choke me up. That's one of the reasons I don't go there. It's, It's emotional. I read it and I get choked up with joy and with delight. And do you think I would take even $10,000 for notes or letters like that? You bet I would, of course. Who wouldn't? $10,000? Criminally, that's a stupid question. They can write me more notes. But, um, but the heart and the spirit and the love that's scrawled into those notes. No, I wouldn't take 10000 or anything for that. Nothing beats that. Nothing is more valuable than that to me. Best reason to worship God, friends. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Uh, It's a mark of my own selfishness that I don't think about this very often. But the best reason to worship God is God himself. It's who he is. It's what worship does for God. It's, you know, God is not a robot. He's not a cosmic force. He's not a distant, uncaring deity. God is actually a person and God loves relationship. Relationship is a part of who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Always relating, always loving, always serving and caring for each other. It's God who thought up relationship. And when he made us in his image, this thing of relationship just flowed right out of him and right into us. And we, in a dim way, reflect the importance of relationship that already exists in God. And in the scriptures, we read about God being in relationship with us and being delighted sometimes with us, being grieved sometimes with us, experiencing anger and righteous indignation and sorrow, but also joy and delight. And the point is, God knows not less, but more about compassion and tenderness and mercy and sorrow, and joy, and love, all these things that happen in relationship. God knows more about all of that than we do. The best reason to worship is not what it does for us, but what it does for God. It gives him joy. And man, (laughs) does he deserve that. When we thank him for life or we thank him for Jesus or we thank him for forgiveness or provision, adoption, justification, sanctification, these are all gifts of matchless value, immense goodness for which we should give thanks and praise to God. And when we do that, we bless him. 
We give him glory. We delight him like the father with the little child that makes a joyful noise. Friends, I think maybe what God wants most from us isn't just our service, although he wants our service. It's it's not the stuff we do with or for him or the stuff that we have or the stuff that we give. He wants our hearts and minds. He wants love and thanks and devotion. He wants relationship with us day in, day out. And we grow and we strengthen that relationship when we worship. That's why this matters, what we do. And if the best we can do is do it at home, well, then we still need to do it. But we're getting to gather now a little bit. And may God open the doors so that we, more of us can gather together soon. Let me pray. And we're going to sing again. And then we'll continue our worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can reflect together on this psalm, Psalm 100, inspired by you, Lord, moved through the psalmist. And you call us into your presence and you talk to us about joyful noises, God. May we make a joyful noise to you, Lord. May our hearts be overflowing with gratitude. We thank you, God, that you are who you are, that you are on the throne, that you reign, that history has a purpose, that all circumstances, God, are under your control. Even the evil ones, God, you suppress, you control in ways that will ultimately move all things to accomplish a better purpose, a good purpose. We're delighted, we're encouraged, we're grateful for that, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.